You're listening to Behind the Red Shield, a podcast produced by the Salvation Army of Memphis and the Mid-South. I'm your host, Camille Connor. The purpose of this podcast is to go behind the scenes and hear from the people doing the daily work to achieve the Salvation Army's mission, which is to meet human needs in his name without discrimination. In this episode, I talk with Sharon Cash, the Executive Director of Social Services at the Salvation Army of Memphis. We discuss how she got started at the Salvation Army and the work she's done to help women and children facing poverty and homelessness throughout her 21 years with the Salvation Army. Let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Behind the Red Shield podcast. I am joined today with our Director of Social Services, Sharon Cash. Thanks for joining us today. And we have a lot to talk about, and we only have a little bit of time, but... I want to dive into, of course, the work that social services does, but also the purpose of this podcast is to not just highlight what the Salvation Army does, but also the people that make our mission happen. So I think it will be really valuable if our listeners can, you know, hear your story as well as the work that you do here at the Salvation Army. And months ago when I first started, you know, I got a chance to sit down with you in your office to hear about how you came to be at the Salvation Army and all the work you've done in, what is it, 21 years since mm-hmm. you've been here, right? 21 years. And you're about to retire, and yes. we're going to miss you so much. But um, I think it would just be great if people could learn more about what brought you to the Salvation Army. So can you tell us a little bit about what led you here 21 years ago? I think that the best way to describe it is uh, it was the next place that I was assigned to uh, in a universal way, if that makes sense. Uh, I've been in the field for over 30 years. And um, I had had made a decision that I was going to pursue my master's at that time. And um, I worked for a Methodist and uh, they were discontinuing their behavioral uh, health component, not necessarily discontinuing, but allowing another uh, agency to come in and to head that and it was not a uh, agency that I desired to work for and um, a friend of mine was responsible or a part of writing the program uh, that is now what we call renewal place and uh, she called me and asked me to come and apply she had told me before the program even manifested that she knew where I was supposed to be next and so a year plus from that time we had that discussion to me actually coming to the, do an application uh, to she called me back it was one conversation i found the next place you're supposed to be a year later she called me and said come and apply and so i came and apply came back for the interview um and the the uh, the director at that time who was doing the hiring actually forgot she had given me an evening appointment for an interview Long story short, she walked out the back door to get in her car, remembered that she left something, came back through the front door. That's where I was. And we interviewed that day. And she virtually told me that night uh, that I was going to be hired. So uh, my uh, desire to work with women uh, has always been there. I work for a program called Baby Love and uh, saw the the anguish, the uh, disproportionate 
amount of services provided to women that had issues with uh, mental health and uh, that had children. So there was it was already in my heart. So uh, it was a perfect match when I got here. Yeah. And something I remember you saying, like when we talked in your office, was that like women need to see other women who have, you know, been through similar circumstances and and seen success. What does that really mean to you? Can you expound on that? Well, I'm a product of, of saying that women do recover. I have been sober in recovery for 31 years. And um, it was 31 years ago, you didn't see anyone even willing to share openly that uh, they were in uh, recovery or seeking sobriety. So it's very important that women see that uh, you can begin again. And I am one of those that represents that, that you can begin again, no matter how far you've fallen or what your situation is. Um, there is a, a reset button. And uh, for me, beginning again didn't really mean going back to something that was already there, but a newness that uh, could only happen with beginning again, starting from where I am. and. Uh, allowing just all new information, all new love, all new um, goals to be uh, the foundation to move from. Yeah, that's amazing. (laughs) And, you know, since you're the director of social services, for people who don't know, what are the services that the Purdue Center of Hope, our women's shelter, what services do we provide here? Here, uh, we offer four different programs, and even then, so much more than that. We have a long-term program, which is the Renewal Place program, that follows up under transitional housing. Women that openly, that on the front end, know the reason that they're not housed uh, is because of their issues with drug addiction. And uh, we're the largest provider of, of services for women that have children. Uh, that uh, the children come into the program with them. 17 and under, we don't put a cap on how many children can come in in that long-term program. And they can be with us up to two years. Our emergency family shelter program can be one day up to 90 days. And that program is for women with children. That's our other family program. And they can come in with their uh, children in an emergency situation, again, anywhere from one day to 90 days. If during their time, the barriers to them being able to become independently housed are, are greater than the 90 days, then at that time, they can go into our Pathway of Hope program, which would allow them to be on site for a year. Uh, then we have a single women lodge, and this is women unaccompanied by children. And the same thing, that it is a hybrid program as well. It can be emergency from one day to 90 days. And then at that time, if it looks like the barriers to independent living, um, are going to take longer that woman can be assessed to be in our uh, longer term program there for up to six months. We are car for credited, uh, and since we have a car for credited intensive outpatient program, and of course, uh, in that it is a co occurring uh, disorder program, so we are able to address on site for all the women that come in, but also for women that are seeking outside of our programs that are looking for. Um, ambulatory treatment for addiction, mental health issues, and other uh, living things that impact their ability to be appropriately housed. Uh, In the building, we have a youth development department that is amazing. That is, uh, uh, I think, uh, 
the level of care and what is addressed in our youth development department with case managers for our children uh, surpasses most environments that have something similar to what we do. So, and we are a total support program. Uh, insurance is not required. Uh, funding is not required on the front end. A desire to have uh, opportunity to really change your life uh, is the only thing that is needed. When you show up, we take referrals from uh, word of mouth, other agencies. We partner with several agencies in the community and uh, we are, um, we're just grateful that we are in the community. Our reputation is superb and uh, we don't take that for granted. Can you talk about some of the um, classes and services that women in our shelter go through, particularly when we're talking about women who, some women who come to our, our shelter have experienced domestic violence or mm-hmm. are fleeing domestic violence. And so how are the ways that we address that trauma mm-hmm. in the women living here as well as their children as well? Well, we, on, on site, we offer the domestic violence classes, uh, but within our intensive outpatient program, uh, even being able to get that, we do trauma-informed care. Uh, we do alcohol and drug counseling, mental health counseling, domestic violence counseling by uh, credentialed uh, staff to be able to do that. But each woman has a case manager that can do one-on-one with her to begin to explore and just see what is needed beyond us. And so we utilize uh, professionals in the community um, as well as offering her a safe place to be. We are not considered a safe house, but we are an environment that we are very protective of our population and understand um, the issues that are related to domestic violence. So it is a priority when women come in, we provide them with uh, professional care to address the mental health impact, the emotional impact, and the traumatic impact of being in a domestic violence situation. And the same care that we give mom, we do that with their, her children. They are uh, they receive counseling, they receive therapy, they are, they are in group as well based on their uh, their age. But one of the things that we know for sure that if we can provide them time and a safe environment, that some of the impact of what happened in that situation can be um, minimized in some area, but understanding that it's a long-term opportunity. So it's imperative that we make sure that they are connected with uh, resources other than here, uh, because it does take uh, more than that. But for her to be able to be safe enough to get some rest, to love on her children, for her children to know that she's going to come home, that she's going to be safe, that's half of what uh, is needed for someone to begin to heal uh, from that type of trauma. Yeah. And I, I want to circle back to you saying, um, you know, providing resources beyond here, because I, I definitely want to talk about that in a moment. But you mentioned how important it is to provide time. Can you talk more about how crucial it is to provide time for these women and children and who are experiencing homelessness or battling addiction? Why is it so important to give them that time of up to two years if need be? Mm -hmm. Can you talk more about that? 
Well, one of the things that we know specifically for the children, um, personality character is pretty much uh, developed in the first three to five years of life. So when you have moms to come in and children that time, if you can give them uh, two years of safety, of, of, of not being hungry, fear is diminished, uh, an appropriate touch, okay, it changes the trajectory of their lives. And so when we can offer that to mom as well, when you look at all the research that has been done on adverse, adverse childhood experiences and uh, uh, issues, matters of the heart, what makes the difference is not a pill or a shot. It's a appropriate su social support. It's time and it is allowing them an opportunity to learn what is needed for them to be able to, um, to take care of their heart in their mind and so those are some of the tools that we're able to offer one of the things that is i just truly believe that the salvation army does better than in most environments that offer social services is that there is an understanding of time and the importance of allowing someone the opportunity to begin to heal and to be supported uh, when they have no knowledge of that. Being homeless is one of the tr most traumatic uh, situations that there are. And uh, so early on, it was understood when this program, this building was open to be able to offer um, women an opportunity to heal, to change uh, what has happened, to address what moving forward is needed, it, what is needed to move forward. Uh, on the front end, it was time. Time makes a difference. One of the greatest tra tragedies to um, homelessness and being able to begin again is being told that you have to do that in 30, 60, or 90 days. And so it's a setup for failure in the sense that if I don't get it together, if my mind is not uh, ready, if there's still a whole lot of fear and it has not been addressed, I don't know what the resources is, but I'm told that uh, you're homeless and I'm gonna give you a house in 90 days or less, so you ought to be all right. And I don't have the tools to even know how to be all right. I don't know how to rest. Uh, I don't have the skill set to be able to say, no, I don't want to do that, or you can't do that to me. I haven't truly understood what integrity is, and I got three children that are looking to me. Uh, so it is a, a very fragile situation that is best addressed with time to heal supported in that time to heal and resources beyond uh, having an opportunity to know that I'm healing. It doesn't all happen here, but we, we understand what laying a foundation for healing looks like for women and children. We'd like to take a brief moment to tell our listeners about our annual Red Kettle Kickoff concert. This year's concert will be on November 13th at 5 p.m. at the Croc Community Center. Join us as we launch our Red Kettle campaign to raise funds for families in need. Get into the holiday spirit with musical performances from Stax Music Academy and experience the work of award-winning speed painter Jessica Haas as she creates an original piece live. Guests will also be welcome to refreshments following the concert and they'll get a chance to bid on Jessica Haas's paintings. Guests are also encouraged to bring a new toy with them that will go towards our Angel Tree program. 
which provides gifts for hardworking families facing financial hardships. You can find more info and RSVP to our Red Kettle Kickoff concert at SalvationArmyMemphis.org. Let's get back to the episode. A few months ago, we held our Women's Auxiliary Luncheon mm-hmm. in the spring, and you talked about a story that, you know, had a big impact on how you guys continue that connection with women who have lived in our shelter and then transitioned outside of our shelter. Mm-hmm. Could you talk about that story of a woman woman who came to our shelter and then transitioned, and it brought attention to that need to give women the tools of how to live on their own if they haven't been able to live on their own before. I'm sure you're speaking of sharing uh, one of the greatest lessons that we learned here and uh, when we we really fully understood better that we have to be um, vigilant and mindful of not doing cookie cutter services, but being able to provide what the woman in front of you needs. And uh, this particular young lady uh, was um, would be considered to be chronically homeless. And she came, had been into our program maybe two or three times and uh, left. This time she came, got into our outpatient program, was doing amazingly well. Uh, one of the stories that she shared um, in a group that I facilitated in was basically how much she loved her mother that she, when her mother became ill and was in the hospital, that she moved from the place that she was sleeping outdoors into a bridge, under a bridge that was closer to the hospital so she could see her mother every day. And so that just speaks to how she had learned to uh, live on the streets. She, um, became eligible for housing and we supported her into moving into her apartment, her own apartment. Uh, She had not been there two weeks when we uh, were all uh, floored when we got the word that she had been murdered um, in her apartment. And what we found out uh, later as we communicated, even though she would come back during the day to the groups, she never mentioned that she could not sleep at night. And what we learned was that she didn't know how to be in the house and people observed her sitting on the stoop in front of her door with her door open all during the night. And uh, that may, we, we learned later that that may have been what happened, how someone got into her house to take her life. From that, what we had not thought about, and that was that we didn't give her tools on how to be in a house. We didn't support her on what needs to happen. We didn't We didn't say that when you're in the house, you have to keep your door shut. Uh, there were just assumptions that we made. And so from her, the gift she gave us to is to make sure that we're listening, that we're paying attention, that we don't make any assumptions. Uh, and that we provide them with the tools that they need to be able to move. And what we do understand is that some may need not to go straight into the house. They may need more time to be able to adjust. Um, She was used to living uh, communally uh, because wherever she slept was 
there was a community. She had never lived um, in an apartment. She had been um, diagnosed as a schizophrenic when she was maybe 16 or 17 years old, uh, but ran away from home and um, never ever having an opportunity to live independently. So we, we know uh, in a very harsh reality is that uh, we have to understand to meet them where they are and to do our best opportunity to connect them with their resources. Um, that young lady would have better um, possibly been served to have been a part of a group home or a communal environment because she was very successful in living in our dormitory style home here. And uh, so we know some things better now. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned harsh realities and everyone comes in with their own unique story. And unfortunately, the reality is not everybody's story ends in success. Mm -hmm. However, one thing I do remember you telling me too before was that being here and working with these women is like is a place where you can see miracles mm-hmm. on a daily basis. Yeah. Can you talk more about those miracles that you've seen over the last 21 years? What I know for sure is that our responsibility is to be found faithful to walking out, talking out uh, that we are a resource but always living out that God is their source. Because of that, everybody doesn't get a graduation or an apartment, but to see on a daily basis um, children that get off the school bus and to come in so grateful, like they're coming home with a whole lot of joy that uh, was not present when they first got here. Uh, I've been very fortunate to see women to come in hopeless, um, putting their children up for adoption um, and changing their mind while while they're here. Uh, Having one mom come in and had given her child, had left her daughter at the hospital that she had uh, delivered three days prior to coming into the program with her other children. And um, in the state of Tennessee, if you go back and get the baby 30 days or less, um, there's not a legal issue attached. And we were very fortunate to be able to go get uh, the baby on the 29th day. And she named her Grace. And uh, that particular mom is now a doctor. Uh, She's obtained her PhD and she is working uh, as an educator uh, in the city. Uh, to see uh, moms here to come into the program to do well and have their mothers be able to tell us that the best thing that ever happened uh, was their child coming into the program and to tell us that on her deathbed uh, and to, to see that daughter be able to have some integrity, some dignity to be able to say that I, one of the, the things that I'm most grateful for is to have been sober um, when my mom transitioned to heaven. Uh, to see children, oh my God, to come back and tell us that um, they're so grateful 
that their moms came into the program. And so as many miracles that we saw, uh, I think as amazing as that is to have the miracles that happened that we didn't know of, to have um, women to transition to heaven, but then to learn from their families that the best that they were were when they were in the program. And um, again, I mean, just <laughs> being here this morning and having the weekend and knowing that everything happened in the building over the weekend, but then to see moms come downstairs smiling uh, on their way to group and just being able to stop by my office and say, I feel so much better. I slept uh, better than I ever have. Uh, before. Um, we have women that come in and are unable to make their beds. And rather than have that be an issue, understanding that for some of them, they never had a bed to make before. And to see that accomplishment, to come and have somebody in the hallway saying, come, come look at my room. I want you to see and just being able to take ownership of that. So, um, it's it's just again what we offer is simply that we believe that you can begin again and if i don't have anything else other than a hug and a warm smile uh, and kind words we know that that's uh, sufficient to touch someone's heart amen Mm -hmm. um i do want to ask one question as we're nearing the end of our time uh you know, like I said, you're leaving soon and we're definitely going to miss you. But what's one thing that you hope people learn about the Salvation Army that you feel they may not know about? Salvation Army, because most of the time when you mention that you work for the Salvation Army or affiliated with the Salvation Army, someone is going to say Uh, You know what? I got some clothes that I was going to bring down there. But it's it's so much more than I think that can be put into words. But Salvation Army is the place that's going to show up. It's the environment that will offer an opportunity for man or woman because we have the Adult Rehabilitation Center for men. a chance to rest and that it has become an environment of empathy and not sympathy uh, but operates from a place that you don't have to come back here again because we're going to support you and give you all the tools that you need to be able to keep moving forward uh, but we show up we stay longer than anybody else. We try harder than any other environment. And uh, and I think that's what makes a difference. Um, and that we, I, I would like that to be part of the legacy that I leave with the Salvation Army. And that is time makes a difference. A kind word uh, is better than any medicine that science can give. And that... Um, Hope never fails. And you are going to be leaving quite the legacy. And I mean, we have so many incredible, passionate, hardworking caseworkers that have been able to learn from your wisdom and experience. So we are in good hands. But I just want to 
thank you for all of the work that you've done and all of the, you know, tidbits of wisdom that you've even laid on me in just the last few months. So thank you so much for all of the work you've done for the Salvation Army over the last 21 years. Well, you're very welcome. Thank you for even having me here today. Of I appreciate course, it. Of course. That wraps up our first episode of Behind the Red Shield. If you'd like to learn more about the Salvation Army of Memphis and the Mid-South, you can head to our website at SalvationArmyMemphis.org. There, you'll also find ways to get involved. We have several volunteer opportunities this holiday season, and you can sign up to be an Angel Tree volunteer or a bell ringer for our Red Kettle campaign. All the info is on our volunteer page. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Salvation Army Memphis. Don't forget to join us next week for a brand new episode. You can find it by subscribing to our Salvation Army Memphis YouTube page or subscribing to Behind the Red Shield on iTunes Podcast or Spotify. Thanks for listening.